Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Whether it's devotional times, family issues, or marriage problems, we want to help you understand and apply what the Bible says in practical ways that produce real results. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Let's Follow Jesus on some of the essentials of walking with Christ on a personal level. May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. We're in a series called Let's Follow Jesus. And the first week we talked about close but no cigar. What's the difference between religion and regeneration? Last week we talked about um, let's press on to know the Lord. And we talked about the devotional life. Today the title is Not by Bread Alone. And the topic is the Word of God. Not by Bread Alone. So before I raced out of the house, I grabbed a loaf of bread. I always like to have a, a visual aid. And this is this great uh, bread that has no fiber in it, probably no vitamins, nothing, but it's very tasty. But I, it, I have this not by bread alone because of Matthew 4.4, 4, verse that you are familiar with. Jesus answering Satan in the garden, uh, not in the garden, in the wilderness, uh, right after he had been baptized and was being tempted by Satan. And Satan said, why don't you turn this stone into bread? Why don't you use your power to serve yourself? And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Interesting, isn't it? Anything Jesus said would have been accepted as scripture. And yet Jesus, to confront Satan, chooses to quote an Old Testament verse. And with this, with this word, he defeated Satan in that first temptation. Now, this verse comes from an Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy. How many verses have you memorized from the book of Deuteronomy? Jesus pulled out three at the drop of a hat here in the temptation in the wilderness. But in Deuteronomy 8, Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Old Testament. It's the fifth book of Moses. It's the, the word Deuteronomy means the second law, the second giving of the law. It was after the 40 years in the wilderness. They were just about to go into the promised land. And Moses said, And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. Deuteronomy 8, 2 and 3. These 40 years God's been leading you. Why? That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and he let you be hungry, and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand something. God wanted them to understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I remember having a quiet time with that and thinking, wow, 40 years to learn one lesson. Now, I don't know how many years of education you've had, but it sort of adds up, you know, between kindergarten and the 12 years and then the four years, and then if you did a master's program, got a few doctors or PhDs or lawyers, 
Even adding them all up probably comes to 20, no more than 30 years of education. It did take me 23 years to get through seminary, but uh, I wasn't constant at it. But they were constantly in the wilderness these 40 years. And God says, you know why you were in the wilderness 40 years? Oh, I want you to learn one thing. I thought, wow, it took them 40 years to learn that one thing. And as I was having my quiet time that day, this is years ago, it was as though the Holy Spirit asked me in my heart, Henry, how long is it going to take you to learn that? It took them 40 years. Do you believe that? So what's the big deal about the Bible? We want to talk about the Bible today. It's place in a Christian's life. Is it just an adornment? Is it just a, an accessory? You know, they have these, these shows where they have the beautiful dresses and, the, and there's always these accessories. I don't know if a hat is considered an accessory, but the purse and the, you know, the, maybe the, the thing around the neck and, you know, for some people the Bible is kind of like that. It's just an accessory, you know, you want to have a leather one or paper back or which version, you know, might not use it much, but you've got it. I want to talk about first about a couple of attributes about the Bible. First, all of Christianity, all of our faith, really is based on uh, three suppositions, three statements of faith, three things, three starting points of what we believe to be true. Because the scripture says it, because it's confirmed in our lives for many different reasons. But these three presuppositions, this our starting point in our faith is that God is, that he exists, Secondly, that he is personal. Remember Star Wars, the Force be with you? Well, the Force didn't have a name. It was more like kind of a, a, an electricity everywhere or something, you know? It had a dark side and a light side, who knows? But it was impersonal. Our God is personal. That means you can know him, you can relate to him. He can, can communicate to you, you can communicate to him. And the third presupposition is that God speaks. If he existed but was not personal, we couldn't know him. If he was, uh, because we could only relate to a person. If he existed and was personal but didn't ever say anything, we would be completely in the dark. We would just be guessing. It would be like picking up the receiver and the other person doesn't talk and you're just talking to them and wondering, why are they there? What are they thinking? I don't know. But the third beautiful truth that we believe is that God actually speaks. Not just that he spoke. He is continually speaking. His word is continually going out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe this? Of course you do. But do you feel like God has been speaking to you lately? There's this wonderful passage in 2 Peter. 1 verses 19 through 21. And so we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. He, he referred to the, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration where they'd actually seen Moses and Elijah talking with the glorified Jesus. And he said, that brought us even more back to realizing how true this revelation is. And no, so now we're not going to graduate from this scriptural revelation to now we're beyond that in dreams and visions and, and uh, spectacular kind of things. We don't need the Bible anymore. Now he says we're, we're even more firmly founded in the scriptures because of the things that we have seen that were miraculous. 
And he says, you would do well to pay attention to this scripture as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts until Jesus comes back. Pay attention to this. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. God has spoken by the Holy Spirit through His Word. So we see first these presuppositions that God is, that He's personal, and that He speaks. We also notice that there's tremendous power with the Scripture. The very first chapter of the Bible, God just says something. And you hear these loud sounds and all of these things start happening and moving just because God is speaking things into existence which had not existed before. But we also see the power of recreation. It's one thing to fabricate a car, to make a car. But how about if you get a car that's all crushed and broken and burned? to take that car and make it brand new again. God's word isn't just powerful in creation, it's powerful in recreation. God doesn't just make things, he resurrects things as well. I remember hearing the story of a woman who was desperate, depressed, had gone to a city just to get away from her family and those that knew her, had rented in a hotel room, had got a gun, had loaded it, and had put it in her mouth and cocked the trigger and her eyes at that moment fell on the bedside table and she saw a Gideon Bible. And just out of curiosity, she set the gun down just to see what was in that book. And she turned her life over to Christ. There is power in the Word of God, in creation, in recreating us and resurrecting us. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living. It's, it's like it's alive. It's not just words printed on a page there's something more to it than that it's living it's active it's sharper than any two-edged sword it pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart you can hide from just about everybody i think it was uh disraeli who said I think God gave mankind words so that he could better conceal his thoughts. And we spend our lives hiding our thoughts and intentions from everyone else. And a lot of times they're probably glad we do. They don't really want to know all the critical thoughts that might happen to pass through our mind. That's okay. But he says, you can't hide from God's word. From the Spirit of God using the Scripture to penetrate into the dark recesses of why you do what you do and where you are with Him. The power of the Word of God. Is that how the Scripture is for you today? A powerful element in your life? Or is it still just an appendage, a garnish, an accessory? And third, I'd like to talk about the price, the tremendous value of the Scripture. I'm reminded of Psalm 19, a beautiful passage that if you look at it closely, you realize the whole passage of Psalm 19 is talking about God's communication, His Word. We're so familiar with the first part, the heavens are telling of the glory of God, the firmament shows His handiwork. That whole first section talks about God is speaking to us 
through all that he has made. Through the creation, it's universal. It's all over the whole world, all at the same time. There are no words. You don't see any uh, mountains spelling out things. It's general revelation. It's not as though you, you would look at the heavens and see, oh, wow, I really ought to read my Bible every day. How'd you know that? Well, the trees told me. No, they didn't, you know. Uh, they're impressive, but they're not instructive. And God's revelation, general revelation, they call it, is throughout all the creation, all the time. But then the second part, if you look down to verse 7, it starts off with a new section. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Now it's talking about the specific revelation in the scripture. Also very important, also God-given. But accomplishing more and different things. The revelation through scripture is local. It's with words. It's specific. It's not all the time. There's sometimes when you really feel like God is speaking to you from the scriptures, and other times you feel like a piece of wood, and it's not coming through. Then you notice the third section here, he says, Moreover by them, by God's words and truth that he reveals, Moreover by them is your servant warned, in keeping of those truths there's great reward. Let me just throw in a little detail here. If, as I look at those first three parts, the first part being God's general revelation through creation. The heavens are telling the glory of God. The second part having to do with the Bible. You can look at the scroll over there. And the third part being his response, how, he, how it begins to get to him. If I were to just use uh, exclamations to explain to you emotionally what's the difference between those three, I would say the first part about creation is, ah, like when you see a mountain or a sunset or something like that. The second section I would say is, huh, like you just go, I get it, that's, huh, that's interesting. What would the third section be? It would be, ow, because it got you. He says, oh, cleanse me from my hidden faults and the things I don't even realize I'm doing wrong. God didn't just mean to impress you. And he also didn't mean to just instruct you. He meant to touch you, change you, wound you to heal you, raise you from the dead that you might serve the everlasting God. How close are you letting God's word get to you today? Have you had not just an ah or a huh, but an ouch lately? Then he says, verse, not, verse uh, 10, the scripture, the words of God are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. What is he saying there? The most precious thing they had at that time was gold. The most delicious thing they had was honey. He said, the scripture, the word of God, is more precious than your most precious possession. And it is more delicious than your favorite dessert. Is that how you feel about the Bible today? Let's talk about some actions. We've been impressed by the scriptures. Realize that would be... It's something, it's a, it's a privilege, it's come from God. God's actually speaking to me, he wants to relate to me, he wants to instruct me, he wants to help me. But I need to engage. I need to engage. 
And this is an illustration of a hand. Some of you have seen this illustration. I normally take about 30 minutes to cover it. I'm not going to do that today. I'm shooting for five. But the point of this illustration is, how does the Christian get a grasp of the Word of God? When you walked out of your house today, if you brought your Bible, but when you went, left the house and grabbed your Bible, not a single one of you picked it up with your teeth. You didn't take off your shoe and try and grab it with your toes and drag it out the door. Every one of you that brought a Bible today, you picked it up with your hand. And so I want to talk to you about the hand of your spirit, the hand of your soul that reaches out and grabs the Word of God so that God could use it in your life, so that it becomes the sword of the spirit in your hand to defeat Satan's temptations and to help you with your attitudes and your character. The first thing I want you to notice is the pinky, the little finger. It's hearing. That's what you do when you hear sermons, listen to messages on tape, online. It's important to be actively listening to uh, God's Word. On the radio, there are opportunities. But if all you do is hear, then you have a very weak hold on the Scripture. Do that very long. I've already got a cramp. Uh, trying to hold it up with just my little finger. The second finger that makes it stronger is the ring finger. It's the finger of reading. And many of you have a wonderful habit of reading the scripture day after day. And it's great to try to read through the whole Bible several times in your life, to mark your Bible. I've been working for four years to get my new Bible marked. And I've had a wonderful time doing it. And now I'm ready to move on to more uh, just Bible study, but I had this felt need to at least get it marked first. But the third finger that really begins to strengthen your grip on the scripture is Bible study. Bible study is more than reading. And I want to tell you three things rapidly that aren't on your notes, but three things that make helps you know what's the difference between reading my Bible and studying my Bible. How can I know when I've passed over and I'm actually studying? Studying involves repetition. You don't just read it once. You read it several times. Study involves questions. You read it and you think about it. It says, well, I wonder why he says this. I wonder why he didn't say this. I wonder what that means. I wonder how I put that into practice. And you're questioning and questioning. Questions are the shovel with which you dig deeper in the scripture. And it doesn't mean you're going to get all your questions answered. It doesn't matter. It means you're being active with the scripture. You're being open to what the spirit might say to you. And the third thing is, is you use something to write with. Write it down. Your thoughts disentangle themselves as they pass down your arm, out through your hand, down, out through the pen. There's so many thoughts that you will get if you will be recording your questions and the things you're seeing as you look at the scripture. Studying the Bible, learning to study a book, a topic, a passage. Developing a file system. If you do that for very long, you've got lots of pages. It's easy to get a couple of file folders and say, for each book of the Bible, I'll, I'll have a place where I put anything I get about that book. Be ambitious with your Bible. Fourth, the trigger finger. Have you ever seen a duel between cowboys where one of them pulls out his gun and tries to pull the trigger with his little finger? He'll be dead. You gotta use your trigger finger for the trigger. The trigger finger, in terms of uh, the grasp of scripture, is scripture memory. Memorizing verses out of the Bible. And a good goal is for your lifetime is two or three hundred verses. Uh, if you just learn one new verse a week, that's 52 verses in just one year. And I imagine you're planning on living more than the next four years. 
So there's time. And even if you only get five, five's more than none. Don't, don't measure it from perfection. Measure from where you are and say anything more than what I'm doing would be progress. If I can do it with joy, if I can do it for Him, if I can do it just because God is speaking to me and wants to change me through His Word. Now that leaves still one other part of the hand, the thumb. Interestingly enough, the thumb can touch all the other fingers and it's what com really completes the full grasp of the hand. And the thumb is what we call meditation. That, that's where you actually give careful thought and prayer to what you're hearing, reading, studying, and memorizing. That's where you let it sink in deep into your heart. And where, that's where it passes from huh to ouch. And that's where the real blessing is. And finally, the importance of applying what we have learned, the goal, is a transformed life. Someone has said, and you have heard it said, God didn't give us the Bible primarily to increase our knowledge, but what? But to change our lives. Now, if we were to ask your spouse or your best friend about you, they love you, they appreciate you. And if we ask them, well, has this, have you noticed a change for the better in this person's life over the last year? What would they say? Are you still growing? Applying the Word of God. Some, I, I one time was thinking in terms of how to illustrate that, how it's happened in my own life, and I see it happening in other people's lives. In Latin America, they, they use a lot of buses, and, and they're all the time roaring around and spewing out horrible exhaust fumes and everything. It's sort of nostalgic, you know, now when I go back and smell the exhaust fumes and think, wow, man, here we are back in like the old days. And, uh, but you've got to watch yourself as a pedestrian in Latin America. Uh, lawsuits don't work as well as... And they do here, and they just might run over you one time. I got hit in the head by the, the mirror of a bus one time as I was just standing there, and the bus turns and pulls in too close, and I'm, I'm not paying attention as usual, and about knocked me right over. Um, but there are two ways to watch a bus go by. You're standing on the bus, uh, side, on the, on the, at the bus stop on the sidewalk, and you see the bus coming, and say, oh, that, yeah, that looks like John's driving the bus today. The bus looks kind of dirty, looks kind of half full, uh, coming along. And, 25 miles an hour and you just watch it go by and, and uh, see the dust coming up and the exhaust. That's one way to watch a bus go by. Second way to watch the same bus go by. You just step out about three or four feet and now you're saying, well, it looks like John is driving that bus and looks like the bus needs to be clean and cleaned and, and it's about half full and it's going about 35 Bang! And it ran right over you. Most people read their Bibles from the sidewalk. If you want God to change you, you've got to get out into the street and say, God, I'm not going to be satisfied with the Scripture until it leaves tire tracks on my soul. I want to change. I want to be different. I want to be more like you. That's where you wrestle with the angel and say, Lord, I'm not satisfied with being impressed or instructed. I want to change. What kind of heart does God find in you today? Can we talk?
so many of you know most of what I just said. And I see some great examples around. I, I visited Mr. Moore in the intensive care unit down at Baptist, and he's there with the biggest magnifying glass I've ever seen in my life, with it up to his eye like this, and a large print Bible in front of him, trying to make out a word as he sought to continue to search the scriptures. There's a busy doctor in our congregation who just in the last three years has memorized about 300 verses and tries to review them every day. There are two older men in our congregation, older than me, not old, but older than me. That's how you define old, isn't it? Anyone older than you? Two, two men older than me that have launched into a six-year program to study for the ministry in their spare time, which they don't have. Praise God for people that still want to learn and grow and change. But how about you? Some of you, your marriage is in dry rot. Your relationship with your kids is stagnant. Your devotional life is still a withered parsley garnish. God seems distant. Your Bible is dusty. You find time for the newspaper, for hours of TV, for talk radio, boating, hunting, ESPN, social engagements, trips and vacations, surfing the internet, and you're often seen walking the aisles at Blockbuster. Remember the words of Jesus. Not by bread alone is your life. God was willing to take them 40 years through the wilderness to teach. He said, I let you be hungry. And I fed you with manna because you must learn this. This isn't just a decoration. It's your life. Will you wake up and let God stir you once again to seek his voice speaking to you through the scriptures? Beloved, what's happened to you? Have you run after hobbies and leisure? Have you filled your barns with stuff you really don't need? And now you've got to take care of it and watch over it and fix it and replace it. Have you allowed the dark kudzu of secret sin to blanket your land with silent poison? Do you find yourself bitter and bored, fearful, frustrated, defensive with people, and deaf to God? What, should, what do you want your Heavenly Father to do? Now, if your child wouldn't eat for three days, what would you think? Oh, it doesn't matter. No, you, first you think, do they have a secret stash somewhere? What are they eating? What kind of junk food, you know that you're not going to find secret cans of Brussels sprouts in their bedroom. It's going to be junk food. Second, you're going to think, if they're really not eating, you're thinking, we got a psychological issue here. Are they anorexic? And third, you'd wonder, well, if it's not that, are they sick? Is some illness robbing them of their appetite? When I think of these three things, three images come to mind. With the secretly eating junk food, I think of the fat cake couch potato. Christian. They, they eat. They just eat everything but the scriptures. The second one, the psychological issue, anorexia, I think of the Hollywood scarecrow. Yeah, you see him. You're checking out their food line, and some withered waif is there decked out in the finest clothes and looking horrible because they don't eat. 
Or third, the, where the illness has robbed the appetite. I think of the Afri picture of the African child with a swollen belly and the flies buzzing around their face. When God looks at you, what does he see? Does he see the fat couch potato? Does he see the Hollywood waif scarecrow? Does he see the African child with flies buzzing around your head? Or does he see an athlete? The person, the man, the woman that disciplines themselves for the purpose of godliness, that have set their face like a flint for Jerusalem. Say, I don't know how many days or weeks or months I have on the earth, but I want to live them for him, and I must eat well from the scriptures to be strong to do his will. Now, I, with this, I'm not trying to resurrect law and duty. Well, Henry, how much do, you have, do I have to do so that you'll get off my case? I'm talking about a fresh spring breeze blowing in your life again. I want to encourage you, Jesus Christ is here with us today. He is the same beloved bridegroom that comes to speak to you personally. He doesn't just talk to George Crow or Bobby Farmer. He wants to relate to you personally. And what's the main lifeline with which you relate to him? It's relating to him by the Holy Spirit with the Word of God. I'm talking about new joy. I'm talking about refreshment. I'm talking about appetite. I'm talking about desire. I'm talking about delight. I'm talking about having a sweet tooth for the Scripture. If you're really God's child, you know you want this. And you're realizing right now that that's why God brought you here today. Just to bring up the subject again. Make haste. It's not too late for you. And frankly, we can't spare you. We need you and we need you to be doing well. This is not a merit badge or a dab of makeup or a splash of perfume for your Christian life. This is your health. This is your life. This is your future. This is your connection with God. And I want to encourage you and encourage myself as well for us to turn again to Him. There are plenty, there's so many things our church is offering over the next year that you can get involved in because it's hard to do it by yourself. You need to be around other people that encourage you. There are quest groups for men. There are Bible study groups for women. I'm not here to sell any particular program. You know what you need. But make this your day of decision to start a new chapter in your Christian life. Why don't you stand to your feet and we'll close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us a hand with which to grasp the scripture and a heart to receive it by the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would turn these thoughts into actions, these words, that these words would become our flesh and blood and bones, that we would learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Resurrect, Lord, our first love, our first desire to seek God in the Holy Scriptures. We ask you, wonderful wind of the Holy Spirit, to blow through our lives again to help us get our sins confessed, if we need to talk to somebody, to talk with them, if we find we just can't do it by ourselves, to get with someone else that can help us, Lord. You have placed so many opportunities at our feet. Help us to get up off the couch and make the call. 
Jesus will be back any day, and we want to wake up. We want to seek you. We want to serve you. And we pray, Lord, that by your grace, that these next days and weeks and years would be truly our finest hour for your glory. You are able, Lord. We're not. We're weak. We've stumbled many times. And it's hard for us to deal with lack of motivation. But stir us up once again, Lord. Renew our hope that you are the God of the resurrection. Set our feet on the path designed as far as the scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.